Here we go again. Tapping into your eardrums with episode number 30 of our podcast, all about things, adventure, and people in Lake Tahoe. It's the Tahoe Tap with myself, Mike Perrin, and Rob Galloway. Local and national news coming at you in just a moment. But first, a little programming note. This pod, we replace the A with an E for entertainment and dive into our favorite music venues around the basin. So if that just spoils your entire podcast or your day, you know, change the program now. But I mean, music can be an adventure too, Mike. So I mean, okay. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially some of the ones we're going to be talking about. So yeah. way to save it, Rob. We just saved a couple <laughs> listeners right there. And of course, we're going to cap off the show with our P portion. And we have NLTFPD. That's the Fire Protection District up north of the lake. Chief Ryan Summers, where we chat in depth about his journey through the industry, current policies, and some new collaborative efforts to defend against wildfire. Pretty interesting stuff there towards the end. Uh, Yeah, quite enlightening. But first, this would not be possible without thanking our sponsors, Lake Tahoe Ale Works, two locations with the self-serve beer wall, wood-fired pizzas, live music. There'll be a topic here in just a little bit for some of our favorite venues. And of course, they've got the Cocktail Corner, the Backyard Bar and Grill, and the Bistro opening up, which is some fine dining added over to the Y side of South Lake Tahoe. So check them out, LakeTahoeAleWorks.com. Calm. As always, Rob, we're going to take it away with you first and our local headlines. Yep. And uh, for more in-depth coverage, uh, just as uh, we always do on these stories, visit us online at TahoeDataTribune.com or SierraSun.com. But uh, I'm going to start, you know, after two long years, Mike, the Bijou Golf Course in South Lake. They're going to be opening back up this year, closed due to the pandemic in 2020 and staffing issues in 2021. The South Lake Tahoe city owned course is ready to roll, but not too fast because while the city owns the course, it does not own the parking lot. And their three year lease offer has been countered with a 20 year contract that's a little higher than what they have been paying the previous 20 years or pre- in previous years. But 20 years, woo, that is a, uh, that's, a lot can happen in 20 years. That seems to be uh, a little bit excess- excessive, but, uh, you know, it's a negotiation process, I suppose. So uh, both of the options are going to be presented at the council next meeting. So we will just watch and see how this all plays out. It was also noted that from 2009 to 2019, rounds that have been played there decreased by 65%, Mike. Do we want to get into any theories as to what was going on there or what's happening? Well, I've got one right out of the gates is, no one knows it's freaking there. I, I mean, <laughs> how they're like in terms of advertising it, or I mean, you just don't know it's there. You fly by it through the middle of the town, uh, you know, right off of Highway 50. So, I mean, there's answer number one. Yeah, I mean, and it's and it's it's tiny, right? It's it it's all your par threes. I mean, if somebody wants a little bit more of a of a challenge there. I mean, I could see that as being one of the one of the reasons why. I mean, golf golf, you know, in ten in those ten years. Has it gotten bigger? I don't know. Probably. Come on, Rob. Do we need more of a challenge in golf? <laughs> well, We're already challenged I mean, enough, man. Yeah, you kind of do. I mean, <laughs> you just, you know, as it gets more challenging and you have a harder day, you just drink more beer and then everything's Problem good. Solved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you live nearby or have flown into the Truckee Airport, the airport district is asking for community input 
on the possibility of adding in a third runway. And according to the preliminary analysis, the runway, uh, which would align to direct arrival and departure traffic to and from the north, could see potential benefits of reduced noise, reduced residential overflight, better safety, and improved operational efficiency. The district also said, and I'm going to paraphrase this, um, but they said, just because a runway is added does not mean it, you can grow operations. So I, I don't know if they said you, but uh, they just don't want to look at this and saying, all right, so we're growing. Let's just uh, you know start pounding out some bigger developments and things like that. So uh, I thought that was key to note there. Uh, if we move on over to the Nevada side of the lake in Douglas County, they have received about $9.25 million um, under the Federal American Rescue Plan. Um, and they received more than $51 million in requests on how to go about spending uh, that nine plus million dollars. Uh, they're going to meet next week to review the request, but the highest price tag comes in the form of a $1.45 million uh, to begin site work to update the emergency radio system. That's part of a $10.3 million overall upgrade. There's also $1.4 million um, as a request that would be allocated to reconstruct Kale Drive, which, you know, we, I, we talked about this before. Kale Drive is... Uh, it needs it. <laughs> uh, but uh, in all, there are 34 requests that are being recommended for review. So there's going to be a lot to sort through there. Uh, and if I stay on the Nevada side, uh, if you have plans to travel on state routes uh, uh, 431, aka that, that is Mount Rose Highway or, or Highway 28, be prepared for lane closures beginning Monday, May 2nd, as NDOT is going to begin its second year of a multi-year project to enhance sections of both roads. And then I'm going to close things out with an update that we just posted on the website today on the wildfire outlook for the Tahoe Basin. Uh, and you mentioned, Mike, we're going to be discussing this in our interview with, with Ryan Summers. And, and by the way, stick around for his crazy story at the end of the interview. Um, you, you'll like it. I was... It was crazy. I don't know. I enjoyed I enjoyed his story there. But the story, the story that was submitted by the Forest Service uh, that's on the website says, you know, surprise, surprise, the conditions will be drier than normal this year and that fire season is going to be similar to the past three. So everyone, please do your part. Uh, pay attention. Know what you're doing. Educate folks. Keep your head on a swivel this summer. And let's see if we can maybe mitigate it a little bit, just a little bit. All great news to share with our listeners right there. And like you said, all reported by the Tile Daily Tribune or Sierra Sun. But here's some things I went down a rabbit hole on the old internet uh, over the past couple of days and uh, for national news uh, to stick in your back pocket for conversation starters. The customers who went on the first all private mission to the International Space Station or ISS splashed down off the coast of Florida yesterday. This all-private SpaceX astronaut mission, the air quotes around astronauts, so that's a whole debate of itself, <laughs> uh, mission incurred a week of delays. AX-1 is what it's called, which launched, launched on April 8th, was originally billed as a 10-day mission, but weather delays stretched it out to about 17 days. 15 of those were spent on ISS, but this is much different than the Blue Origin or the Virgin flights that you're seeing, you know, tickets up for sale. Uh, so, you know, those are going for two hundred fifty to $450,000, which take you to the edge of space. You get to, you know, experience uh, weightlessness and anti-gravity, but here you're forking over $55 million per seat for a 10-day trip to the right. ISS. That's a... Uh, that's a that's a nice all inclusive chunk right there, uh, fifty five million for, for that ten day trip. And a little side note on that: just this morning, 
Jessica Watkins took flight as the first black woman to serve at the International Space Station. And she will also be first for a spacewalk outside of that. And they've got about 150 experiments they're gonna be doing up there. So, uh, man, they are reusing these rockets and pods like crazy, just, you know, that's what they're really shooting for is, is reusing all these. So uh, pretty cool news out of SpaceX and NASA there. So I've got a quick question for you, Rob, that I did not prep you for. Oh, here we go. I want to know if you know what the number one crop is in the United States. Um, um, I don't know. Wheat? Oh, Barley? I, nope. Uh, I don't even know where those finish, but I know number one is grass. 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 Yeah. I mean, you think about that. Yeah. Uh, I mow mow the hell out of that every weekend. That what am I doing? Am I cultivating my farmer? My my farmer? (laughs) I would say you are. You got a whole farm at your house there (laughs) in terms of number of animals, but it also accounts for 25% of residential water use too. So uh, just a couple of facts to stick with you there. And recently, just uh, just this morning, in order to limit outdoor watering was put in place only one day a week. And that takes effect June 1st in areas that depend on water from the drought ravaged state water project. So uh, yeah, that was uh, adopted uh, just yesterday, actually Tuesday by the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, and it will affect 6 million people. The reason I bring this up is because this is you know not just going to be isolated to this area. We're going to see this all around, of course, we don't have to deal with it as much in Tahoe, but to all of our listeners out of the area around California, you could see this coming quite a bit. And mm-hmm. the latest U.S. Drought Monitor update showed more than 95% of California is in severe or extreme drought, which is up from about 66% three months ago. So, you know, we got more snow in April than we did in January, February, March combined, but that's just a small dent. You know, we need a nice, uh, substantial, long winter to, to really make an impact. And we'll he- hear more about that from Chief Summers um, and how we are way behind with the drought. And my last national note here, this is international, I guess. Uh, Kane Tanaka, the Japanese woman who was certified as the world's oldest person, died last week at the ripe old age of 119 years old. So, just to give you a little idea of that stretch of 119 years, Tanaka came into this world the same year that the Wright brothers conducted their first sustained flights. Yes. Pretty wild to put yeah. that into perspective, but sure. uh, hopefully she had a she had a good ride out there at 119. And then adding into that, when I was talking about the rabbit hole, this is where I went down. <laughs> yeah, a little side note: a new record for the world's oldest living dog has officially been confirmed by Guinness World Records. 21-year-old Chihuahua Toby Keith from Florida was adopted from a shelter nonetheless and also has a nice little close friendship with the owner's 28-year-old cockatoo named Coco. So 21 years old. I bet they weren't, you know, didn't have that in the uh, deck of cards when they adopted this little guy from so uh, (laughs) those are your national and local headlines. We're going to take a quick break and be back with your entertainment, which includes a little bit of adventure as well. Stay tuned to Tahoe Tech.
back. Thanks for sticking with us about halfway through the podcast. We're talking all about music and great local venues here around the Tahoe Basin. Rob Galloway is going to kick it off with his favorite spots in North Shore. But first, we had a big announcement last week out there. Give, give us a rundown, Rob. We did. So, you know, the big blue event, I mean, that's going to be happening next month. It's been one of the one of the leading articles that we've had on the Tribune and also the, the Sierra Sun over the past few days. So there's there seems to be some some general interest in this. But the event's going to be over three days. You have 40 artists and 14 venues everywhere from the casino corridor down to Camp Ridge. And I know you have some thoughts about this, Mike, because, uh, you know, we're talking about lots of music there. There are, you know, plenty of places that are that are kicking out live music on a, on a consistent basis. So, you know, I want to get your thoughts around this. I mean, is it I are you looking forward to this? You, you have any, you know, any things that you want to you want to talk about as far as the event goes? Yeah, I love uh, Scott Pemberton. He's probably my standout on the entire lineup. And um, I mean, he, he plays the guitar while it's laying down because uh, he learned to play the guitar in the hospital while he was uh, in there for like multiple months. So pretty cool story there. Check him out at, nice. at that venue. So uh, but for this, I mean, it's Memorial Day weekend, May 27th through the 29th. So we were already sort of going to have all of this happening anyways. I think they just sort of slapped a name on it, you know, on what's already happening and what we do here in Tile South. I mean. Uh, this is what we're all about, beer and music and great vibes. So, you know, good on them for, you know, hurting the cats, I guess you could say, uh, you know, wrangling up a bunch of band members and bartenders and restaurants. That's no easy feat. But um, yeah, this is what we do all the time, every weekend. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, never, nevertheless, I mean, we use this as a little bit of a springboard to, to talk about some of uh you know, our favorite live music venues around the entire lake. And, you know, I'm going to talk about, uh, we, we split this up. I'm going to talk about some, some places on the North shore and Mike, you're going to talk about some places on the South shore, but you know, in general, is, is there anything specific that you look for in a live music um, venue? Well, good quality uh, acoustics would be one, right? There's some places that just blast you out of the place. Uh, so, I mean, acoustics would be nice. And um if you got a nice view, I mean, I think I always say that when with brunch, a nice view yeah. or, you know, uh, we were talking about <laughs> operate spots. I want that view, man. I think just vibe, though, too. I mean, you know, certain places carry certain vibes. Um, and I, I say, you know, it sounds more like a general statement, but I mean, you can go to a place and you'd be like, you know, maybe the food's good. Maybe the music's good, the acoustic, whatever. But some places just have it to where, you know, you can go there every time and, you know, you're going to have a good time when you go there, regardless of who's playing or, or who you're with or whatever. But I, I think that vibe has a lot to do with it, especially for me. AKA you're not going to see whiskey dicks on <laughs> in this list. You're not going to hear about that. Probably, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> All right. Hit us with the North shore spots. All right. I'm going to start out with crystal Bay casino. And I, you know, I've talked about this before. This is my favorite place to watch a show on the North shore and perhaps in all of Tahoe. I do think it's a it's a combination of that intimate setting that you get while you're there, along with the acts that they get, because maybe the they're not necessarily huge names, but they are always going to get solid musicians there and performers typically going to be fairly well-known names, uh, maybe within their specific genres. You know, the shows there are going to be 21 and over, given you're inside of a casino. But, you know, the larger venue, which is their, their crown room there, they have the main shows, but I don't sleep on, on their red room. Um, those shows are usually free. They're, they're in the, uh, the bar area. 
And they get similar types of musicians. They're not necessarily as well-known as maybe what they would book in the crown room, but they're always going to be fairly solid there. I've spent many nights at shows there, and I have never seen a bad performance, regardless of the red room or the crown room. Um, you get a mix of seated and standing room only shows. Uh, a little bit of history, though, that uh, Mike, I was not aware of. This CBC it wasn't always named CBC, but it's been in operation since the early 40s. The, the early name was Taniva Ho, um, and then a major, re major res res renovation. I can't talk. You know, we talked about I was going to flub something up because I hadn't had my, my coffee, but I did. I didn't end up flubbing something up there. But uh, they had a major renovation in, in 1955 and 56, and then it opened under the name Crystal Bay Club. So, you know, when it comes to music or just one of the original, the OGs in Tahoe, um, this place has been kicking it out for a while for entertainment. I know you, you share some sentiments there, right? You, you love the CBC, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they uh, are always cranking it out. They, they did not take their foot off the gas pedal. No, 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 no. All right. So I'm going to hop into to my second note here, which is uh, the Truckee Regional Park Amphitheater. Uh, it's going to be right uh, down by the Truckee River. You already have a great setting there when you're down by the by the river. It's outdoors. You have a really nice lawn area for seating. You know, it's strewn with pine trees. There's a huge stage. Uh, and then there's a nice little place out front for dancing if, uh, if the mood so strikes you. Pretty decent capacity there. Holds about 2,000 people. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'll go back to our last podcast when Devil, Devin, Devil, Devin Middle, Middlebrook mentioned, see, Mike, I'm just tearing it up today right now. But uh, <laughs> Devin Middlebrook, he mentioned in his interview that people don't really utilize the other side of the lake enough. Um, and this is really like a getaway. So, you know, it, you still have the lake there. But if you want to experience a pretty cool music event, I'm going to say hit this place up for their Wednesdays uh, music in the park. Lineup for this year includes a bunch of local bands you probably already know, like Dead Winter Carpenters, Mescalito, Deja Vu. That's going to kick off June 22nd. Uh, one of the cool things, um, you know, if you're if you're not wanting to pay, you know, nine bucks a beer, you can tote your own food and beverage. Uh, you just got to stay away from the glass there. But uh, usually a pretty chill vibe to just you know, kick back with a blanket and friends and watch good tunes and, and just hang out. Uh, I don't know. You, you've been to uh, any of the shows there? Yeah, they've got the upcoming uh, reggae festival. Uh, I don't know the dates. Uh, just Google it. But uh, that's always a big one put on by Late Night Billy uh, and some big names coming to it. Yeah. So I went to that a few years ago and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, place is cool. Uh, my last one here, Commons Beach. Uh, Going to be somewhat similar to what you might find on, on the South Shore with the Live at Lakeview shows. Uh, every Sunday uh, from June through September, uh, you're going to be treated to live music. And it's going to be free, free live music. I should mention that. Right on the beach there in Tahoe City. Shows typically last for, for a few hours, three hours or so, between like four-ish and seven. Um, uh, a lot like the amphitheater, though. You can bring your own food. You can bring your own drinks. But they do have vendors on site for, for food and drinks there if you want to if you want to pay uh, there, but if you do want to save a little bit of cash, you can tote your own items in. Parking is always going to suck, but you know what, Mike? It's Tahoe. Um, you know, you just got to deal with it and figure out your your little secrets there. But if you have uh, kids, they they also have a nice little playground there that you can uh, pawn them off on while you sit and enjoy the, uh, not just necessarily music, but Mike, you talked about the view, uh, a little more than four acres there to sprawl out on. So you're typically not very squished up there at Commons Beach, uh, room to spread out. But man, that view right on the beach there, um, it's great. It's great. Can't beat it during the sunsets as well. And I hear a pretty packed lineup with some big names coming back to the common yep. speech uh, series so yep and i do I, I have a few others that i do want to mention um just real quick river ranch and Truckee uh really has a great outside patio they also have free music every wednesday in the summer 
uh, both Cottonwood and Moody's in downtown Truckee. Always a great atmosphere. Um, and especially during Truckee Thursdays in the summer where downtown basically turns into a street fair. And then uh, River Grill in Tahoe City, just given its location, there are great food options there. And then last but not least, uh, Moe's also in Tahoe City. I can't get out of here without talking about Moe's. Great views, great barbecue which is basically everything you need for a summer evening, right? Uh, yeah, and they, they pack some people into that spot at most. They do. Uh, yeah, gotta, gotta love that. Nice and sweaty and uh, a lot of locals <laughs> just really vibing in that one. Yeah, so. fun times. Yeah, all right. All right, what do you, South Shore, what do you got? Bringing it down South. So in addition to the obvious major players like the Harvey's A-listers, which has what, you know, 13 different acts coming this year, some, you know, multiple night acts, and then the weekly tribal gathering, I'll call it, of Live at Lakeview every Thursday, here are my picks. And I've got them sort of categorized out. I got well-known weekend drink spot, dinner yeah, service with the kids, and sort of laid back vibe, and then a hidden gem for you. At I like how you, how you did this. this All is- right. So your well-known weekend drinks, it's going to be Beacon at Camp Rich. This is a staple. Even if you're a local, you're going to see a lot of your friends there. Biking, strongly recommended. And the calamari appetizer with rum runner is the ticket for your combo. If I mean, it's right on the bike path out to Kiva, Baldwin, Pope, ski beaches. It gets uh, nice and busy out there. You're going to see it, all your friends, like I said. But here's a little uh, pro tip for you. A few years ago, uh, maybe five years ago, they stopped serving 151 floater on the rum runners for probably obvious reasons, uh, but they've got a banana Kraken, which is 149 proof. So if you ask for the banana Kraken floater, it pairs very well with the rum runner. So if you're looking for a high octane uh, Saturday or Sunday, that's your pro tip to, to take it up a notch. But the rum runners were already pretty, pretty gnarly in themselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they make my heart skip a beat a little bit. I think I'm allergic to something in there, but <laughs> you know, two, two's the ticket and three, you know, wait a while until you bike back home. I've seen some, yeah. bad do, do some dancing. crashes there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like we said, the, the music there, you got Trey Stone, which has been, you know, inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame. He's a regular there. I mean, they've got some great names that pack into that little stage. Your feet are in the sand and you're checking out all the happenings that are right there at Camp Rich, all the boats coming in. And I mean, there's a lot of great people watching and the music is loud and fun. So uh, definitely check out Beacon at Camp Richardson. Then we'll change over to dinner service with the kids and just really relaxing. So if you want to, you know, throw on a collar, hang out and have, you know, everything provided to you. This is an evening at Aleworks at the Y. No packing necessary. No, you know, showering afterwards. You've got four food and beverage options all nestled around this great stage that they've really built up over the years. So you've got the backyard bar and grill. You've got pizza at Aleworks. You've got the cocktail corner tapas. And then, like I mentioned, the bistro, which is going to be fine dining. But every single night, they've got something from a solo act to a large band last week was their five-year anniversary and they had Ted Kennedy in the residence. They had Bread and Butter, which is one of my favorite bands. Lindsay Cheek, she just absolutely belts. Uh, She reminds me a lot of Stevie Nicks, actually. So they've got great bands like that lined up and they are also a part of that big blues uh, music festival. So definitely check out Aleworks if you don't want to have to prep anything. But my last one here is a hidden gem that no one really knows about it. just a few of our local friends. It's becoming a little more popular. 
over the years, but this is when you got to pack all your stuff and uh, go early, get a good spot. Uh, Jazzy Thursdays at Lakeshore Lodge. This is July and August only, 7.30 p.m. starting July 7 in August. And you're going to bring your favorite beach chair, your blankets, and find a spot in the sand because they've got names like New World Jazz Project, Wesley Orslick Band, Symposium Jazz Band. It's really a chill vibe. Uh, definitely an older demographic, I guess you could say, but uh, and a different style of music than you're going to get at a lot of these other places. But Lakeshore Lodge on Thursdays, if you're not into the live at Lakeview sort of tribal gathering there at Lakeview Common. So two options on Thursdays for you, depending on what you're looking for. Those are my spots right there for live music venues. And of course, we've got plenty of others to find out, but I'll leave that up to Google for you. to. Run <laughs> There's through. a lot. There's a lot. A lot, a lot of folks are doing live music. All right. We are going to talk about some more music next episode as well. So stay tuned for Paul Reeder and all of his happenings in, in with the A-listers. But coming up after this quick break, like I mentioned, we've got Chief Ryan Summers here in our interview portion. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. It is our pleasure to introduce North Lake Tahoe Fire Protection District Chief Ryan Summers to the interview portion of the podcast. He is the seventh chief of NLTFPD since its inception in 1959, with, of course, a unanimous vote that was back on September 21st, 2016. Born in Reno, raised in Incline Village, he started his career in 1991 as a seasonal volunteer firefighter. Then throughout his tenure, Summers moved up through all of the respective ranks from dispatcher and cue the fast forward sound effect. A quick three decades later, here we are today chatting with Chief Summers. And I always give the people uh, that we interview a chance to correct me if any of that wrong or you want to add, add something. Yeah. No, I appreciate the introduction. That That's pretty darn accurate. <laughs> well, we appreciate the time. I know you're busy and definitely gearing up for what is uh, going to be a busy fire season. But I mentioned in the bio a little bit. Give us some more background and insight on that. Describe your early ambitions, what kind of education route you took, and how someone ultimately evolves to end up in your position. Great, thanks. So, um, as mentioned, I was born and raised here in Incline, and, and with that, my dad was a volunteer firefighter here with North Lake Tahoe Fire back when the volunteers existed. And then he also served on the board of directors. He was on the board for 12 years, in which I believe 10 of them he was the chairman while I was uh, in elementary school and high school. I'm sorry, middle school and high school. And he brought um, our third station to the district and the paramedic service itself. And I say brought that to the district because we are a, a district formed by the voters of Incline and Crystal Bay. So any kind of major change like that, and also it had been a tax increase at the time, property tax increase portion for the fire district, it had to go before the voters to increase the funds so we could construct station 13, which is now station 13, it was station three back in the day. Um, and bring a paramedic ambulance service to North Lake Tahoe Fire Protection District. And he let he led that campaign and it successfully passed. 
1983, um, both of those um, ventures, if you will, came to fruition for the fire district. And then with him being a volunteer, he brought me to a one of the drills one night when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And uh, from then on, you know, I've, I got very, very interested. I was interested as a kid, just with him being a volunteer, but didn't really pay much attention because I wasn't old enough or to understand what exactly it entailed. But coming to my first meeting, um, that was it. Hook, line and sinker. I was ready to do it. <laughs> and uh, so in, in 91, like you stated, I started as a seasonal here in Incline when we had seasonal program. And then I left the incline area and worked for, back then it was CDF, now it's CAL FIRE. And I worked for CAL FIRE for a couple of seasons at the busiest station in Northern California to get my wildland experience. And then in 1995, came back here full-time and got hired in, in dispatch when we had dispatch. Um, and the, the education portion of this, um, I started out thinking I wanted to do hotel restaurant management. And I figured out that nobody wants to talk to a manager in those two pieces of property unless they're mad. So I didn't want to deal with that. And uh, tried the business degree at UNR, just wasn't catching on. So a span over 21 years, I got my AS in fire science, and then I got my bachelor's in fire administration. Well, and, and I guess you would say your education is never ending, right? You're always correct. learning every single day, I'm sure. Yeah, this profession, you train every single day. Our folks train two hours a day, every shift. That's a nice segue there, Mike, because when you talk about education, I mean, it's it's constantly happening, you know, in regards to Tahoe and trying to educate people on, you know, what not to do. But Ryan, what's the biggest thing that you find in terms of fire danger that is still happening despite all of this education that we are constantly trying to get out to people? It's the... Um, I don't want to say ignorance, but it's the, the lack of common sense of mostly tourists that come to town and want to have that campfire in Tahoe in their backyard. We cannot do that. We are too dry for that. You know, we have enough other elements to worry about when it comes to, to wildland fire We'd like to take human out of it completely, and that's not going to happen. So it's our continuing education to the folks and the citizens of Incline and Crystal Bay. We can reach them. We're having a really hard time reaching the visitors that come to Tahoe, and we know that that's a lot of people. Sure. And if we could find an avenue of how to educate them as soon as they come into the basin, we may be a little bit more successful. But right now, it's, it's, it's the tough. lack of responsibility that they take when they come on vacation and have to do with, with fire, whether it be a barbecue you know, because we're not allowing solid fuel in the summertime. We don't allow solid fuel flames. So no charcoal, no, no firewood, nothing like that. And it's, it's very troublesome for those tourists when they come here and they figure, well, I won't get caught. I, I can go ahead and do it. But all the citizens up here, they've got some eagle eyes and they tell us every time something's going on that shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, looking at the, the Caldor fire last year, you know, I'm curious to know what was the North Shore's approach to you know, watching and planning, you know, just trying to understand where the fire was going. And were you working or talking to, to folks who were, who were on the South shore as well? So yes, during the Caldor fire, um, Washoe County emergency management, Washoe County Sheriff's office got involved. 
We actually enhanced our evacuation plan for Incline and Crystal Bay. We do have one that exists, but it's, it's very general. And we figured out really quick, we needed to have a little bit more detail of a plan. They put together a plan and in a nutshell, they were able to section out or zone out parts of Incline and Crystal Bay so that with only three ways out, and I say only, that's two more than most other communities around the basin. Um, we, we are able to release, if you will, or evacuate certain areas of town hopefully on some type of a, a timed structure where we don't overload the highway. So they came up with that plan. Myself and North Lake Tahoe Fire, obviously we sent all three of our engines to South Lake when they needed it. The state of Nevada um, did a very first, They've, they put in, they enacted the, the statewide mutual aid plan and our stations in Tahoe Douglas and in Incline were backfilled by Clark County, Pahrump, Humboldt County fire engines. So they came here to run our normal calls while we were down there fighting the wildland fire because they are not what we call red carded. They aren't qualified to fight wildland fires coming from a city like Clark County or Las Vegas, but they can sure run every single other call up here and be just fine at it. Interesting. So we were talking with them. Um, when it came into Christmas Valley, I'm the one that received the phone call and asked for more engines. And we got 18 more engines from the Nevada side down to, to Christmas Valley and Myers, and we didn't lose a single structure. So the, the fire world, all the chiefs up here, we are very well connected. We all get along. We help each other out. We have agreements in place where they get the first 24 hours for free, meaning I'll send an engine to another district around the basin for 24 hours for free. They keep it on the 25th hour, then we can obviously start billing that fire district if we need to, so we can recoup some of our costs. But we did send, like I said, three engines down there and we kept an eye on the fire behavior. They would run models, if you will, computer models of the direction the fire was going. Those turned out to be fairly accurate, keeping it strictly towards the east and not coming towards us. It would have been, um, there had to be some serious elements met, if you will, for it to come into the North Shore. Wind, you know, and the humidity um, and, and fire spread. And, and luckily that did not happen. So we were, we lucked out there. But yes, we, we are in constant communication with any community that's under such a threat. Yeah, and during that Caldor fire, I was evacuated. And, you know, that I think that's a great idea of timing and sending people out in waves because boy, was that a traffic jam getting out of here. So uh, yes. great idea on that front. And, uh, you know, we were flooded with news and info about, you know, when we we're going to evacuate and where we're going to go. And when there is an active situation like that in the region, what are one or two of your recommendations for most importantly, accurate and up-to-date intel on that, whether um, social websites, what, where would you send people? Um. Again, we have to we have to talk about two different groups of folks. Um, the full-time people here in these two communities really need to sign up with Washoe County Emergency Management under the Code Red program. They will receive a phone call with directions and instructions on what to do. The tourists that come to town, they're going to have to rely on um, whether it be a, a press release or social media and pay attention to those because we'll get those out in a very timely fashion. But the biggest thing for both groups of people, if you will, listen to us. 
if we only want parts of incline to go, please only those parts of incline. It's going to be very hard to stop people from jumping in their car from all over town and heading out, and that's going to clog up the highway. They need to listen, and we will get them out. I hope we never have to do this, but we will get people out in a timely fashion. Our number one job is to protect life and then property, and we take that very seriously, and we will do our best to get them out, but they have to listen to us. If they're not going to listen to us and do their own thing and do what I call freelancing, it's it makes our job even harder and tougher, and then it's going to clog the roads up for additional equipment, fire equipment to get in and help us too. You know, Ryan, I'm going to back it up a couple of years. And, um, you know, right before the, the snow hit a couple of years ago, we, we essentially had no precipitation. So when that snow melted, it basically just the ground was a sponge and it sucked all of that precipitation up from the melted snow. This past year, we had a little bit better precipitation ahead of that huge December dump, but then it was dry afterwards. And I'm just curious to know how how maybe the two dryness years compare um, to maybe other years? And does that, what does that mean for the upcoming season? Is it, does it mean anything different? Are we in a better place than we were last year? Just trying to get an understanding of that. Well, the immediate fire danger, we're in a better place because of the precip we just got last week. Long range, we are actually not doing that great. And, and I'll explain why. Since records have been kept, on what we call the fuel moisture, how much water is in the vegetation around Tahoe. The thousand hour fuels, which is your trees, okay? It takes a thousand hours for the percentage of water in that fuel to change 1%. The thousand hour fuels are at the lowest we have ever recorded. And I say the lowest, meaning that those trees may be green but they are the driest internally that we have ever seen since, since these types of records have been kept. And you don't recover from something like that in one good winter. And we have not had multiple winters in a row that you can consider good, if you will, or have that water content that we need to start hydrating those trees back up. And so it's, it's scary. Um, we are probably, in a time now where the timber could possibly carry fire more than it has in the past. And that's why we've been working on these fuels projects around the lake. If we can get what we call those ladder fuels, if we can get those fuels away from the trunks of the trees and from underneath the shade of the branches, we have a chance of stopping it and keeping it out of the trees. And that's what we need to do. And that's gonna, that has to be our objective and use those tactics um, in any type of a wildland fire in the timber. And I'm not saying just the Tahoe Basin, I'm talking the Western US, everybody is experiencing this. And it goes along with the beetle kill, you know, the beetle kills coming back again, it's starting to increase. Well, that's because there's no moisture in those trees and they're getting diseased and dying. Ugh. You're painting a scary picture here, Ryan. <laughs> but I um... want people to be careful. People yeah. need to know they need to be careful. Absolutely. You know, in, in, in a recent meeting, there was a comment that was made uh, about Incline Village not having enough water to fight a wildfire should one happen. And I know you weren't in agreement with that statement at all. So can you help explain um, the water situation just in Incline Village? Yeah, you bet. Um, and if I could, I'd like to back up just a little bit and let you know that the that water project, I did meet with one of the business partners. He 
he presented the project and I listened and, you know, um, it would be great to have a second pump because currently Incline has one intake for domestic water for Incline and Crystal Bay. It would be great to have a second pump up and running. And I told him that. And then, you know, it, it's not the fire department's business to get involved in personal business, especially for profit. We just need to make sure that, and in this scenario, it's very tough, but it, it is the life safety and the, you know, the property conservation, is it there with any business that may want to come to town? So I met with the gentleman and I said, you know, the only thing I said is that the pump would be great if it was operational. Then they made a presentation to the IFGID board and they used the fear factor that North Lake Tahoe Fire cannot fight a fire without their company because their company would start up the pump. The part I disagree with, we don't need that company to start up the pump. We can get that pump started between us and IFGID without that company. So the reason I don't agree with that statement is just as I said, we don't need that company for the pump to be operational. Their, their scare tactic, and I, I will call it that, that Incline and Crystal Bay does not have enough water is, is false. Um, IBGID has millions and millions of gallons in storage tanks above the communities of Incline and Crystal Bay. They do not get, they do not get below a half a tank, if you will, they, they constantly keep, keep them topped off, especially in the summer months. Mm -hmm. um, and there's multiple reasons for that that we don't need to go into, but for them to say we don't have enough water is, is false. We, North Lake Tahoe Fire received an ISO rating of one. What that is, is that is the best rating a fire department can get from the insurance industry to protect a community. A majority of that study and a majority of that program weighs in on the water supply that we have in Incline and Crystal Bay as the system sits, not even with the second pump in play. So that is why the scare tactic and then to mention North Lake Tahoe Fire and their business plan so many times did not sit well with me, if that makes sense. Sure. Absolutely. Makes sense to me. You know, and, and, you know, recently, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping you can speak to this because you had mentioned previously, you know, the districts and the fire chiefs, you are, you are all in constant communication. I mean, you kind of have to in Tahoe, given, given the borders and everything that we share, but there was new legislation that was introduced to the, um, the California State Senate that would align fire policies um, of state parks and local fire districts. And I know, like I said, you're, you're Nevada, but hoping maybe you could, you can help people understand what that means. Um, and I, I mean, I see it as being advantageous, but do you see it that way too? Just hoping maybe you can speak on that a little bit. Yeah, you bet. That's very advantageous. Um, what we've been trying to do, the Lake Tahoe Regional Chiefs, that's a, that's a group of fire chiefs that we have formed um, and made a charter out of. We have been trying to get federal, state, and local jurisdictions to adhere to the same fire restrictions. It's very hard for people to travel between fire districts, if you will, and I'm not even talking states, you know, that's a whole new element. Travel between fire districts and have different rules that they can follow or, or have to follow when it comes to fire restrictions. So we've been trying to come up with one common theme on the fire restrictions and what is restricted and when is it gonna be restricted and, and where is it restricted? And California was advantageous enough to 
introduce this legislation that state parks will now follow the direction of local government, if you will, with any state park, I believe. And again, like you said, I'm in Nevada, so I, I, I'm not that familiar with it other than what the chiefs have talked about. The state parks will follow the guidelines of the local fire district and possibly the state fire, meaning Cal Fire, on what the fire restrictions are. In Nevada, we're already there. Last year, I worked very, very well with NDF, Nevada Division of Forestry, and state parks and said, listen, I had a common sense approach, I believe, to them and said, this is what we would like for fire restrictions. They didn't blink an eye. They said, okay, then that's what we're going to do on all northern Nevada state parks. So um, Spooner Lake, Sand Harbor, Cave Rock, and Lahontan, and Washoe Valley, Washoe Lake, all adhered to the fire restrictions that we put into place just here in Tahoe. So we we had a great partnership and it was awesome to see that happen before we had to take it to the next level like California had to do. So we have a pretty good relationship here in Nevada with those entities and, and we're all on the same page. That's great. Yeah, That's that was, that was great news to hear. And before I get into my next question, I want to stop and congratulate you on that number one ranking that you mentioned. You just breezed right over that. And uh, there's a lot of hard work I'm sure goes into that just day after day. So um, talk about any big projects, you know, whether it's new fire camps or more collaborative efforts between all of the uh, agencies out there and districts that are currently in the works you're really excited about and can possibly share with us. You bet. So one of the um, big, bigger projects that's, that's happening now and evolving now, um, the last, not the last legislative session, the one before that. So we're talking about five or six years ago. Senate Bill 329 was written by Nevada Fire Chiefs. That bill consisted of entering into a partnership with Nevada Energy and requesting Nevada Energy to do fuels work below their power lines and within their infrastructure. As everybody has seen, PG&E has had their issues when it comes to power lines and wildland fires. We wanted to get ahead of that curve and we asked that Nevada Energy think about that and we wanted to introduce this legislation. So Nevada Fire Chiefs Association wrote a bill that stated NV Energy in a nutshell, and, and I'm summarizing here, um, mm -hmm. NV Energy would enter into, into a partnership with local fire districts and start fuels work within their infrastructure, as I mentioned. The caveat to that is, is we want the crews, the men and women that go out and do the fuels work, we want them to be fire ready. We want them to be fire trained. NV Energy then approved of that. Um, I testified um, in front of the the Senate committee for it. And it's the very first time ever I've seen where a bill after the first reading went straight to the floor. It was unanimous in the reading that they pass it um, by all stakeholders and senators and assembly um, personnel. And it, it was amazing. It, it was like basically passed right then and there just from a reading. And with that, Envy Energy has taken it a little bit farther and they hired a, a fuels management officer, if you will, a couple of them now. And then they came back to the fire districts and said, okay, we have X amount of dollars to start putting towards this program. And when they did that and, and revealed, you know, potential funds for it, 
North Lake Tahoe Fire was one of the first departments to enter into this contract or this partnership with them. And when doing that, we've acquired three brand new pickup type engines, which have a little bit more accessibility um, into the backwoods, if you will, you know, four wheel drive roads. Mm -hmm. um, we've acquired three of those and 12 people, 10 to 12 people full time that NV Energy pays for but they're all um, labeled under North Lake Tahoe fire employees. So they are fire trained and they can be used on a wildland fire. Um, That's a great partnership. Yeah. The, and it has, it, it has expanded. Um, Tahoe Douglas has brought on 20 people. I believe it's the same number for Truckee Meadows. Don't quote me on the people. East Fork has brought on a number of personnel. All those departments receive type six engines. That's a pickup style pick or fire engine. Um, Truckee Meadows, because now Truckee Meadows covers, you know, the unincorporated part of Washoe County minus North Lake Tahoe Fire Protection District's area. So we're talking Gerlach. We're talking big, big areas. They've also were able to acquire some heavy equipment. So they've got masticators, dozers to get that work done and expedite that work. So we do not have a wildland fire caused by arcing power lines, if you will, or minimizes that, I should say, because the fuels below the power lines have been reduced so much. That's great to hear. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. something I never knew. And uh, I'm hoping the podcast listeners out there appreciate. We're going to take it away from the policy a little bit and have two more questions for you. My last one here is, what is the number one misconception from the community about the role as a fire chief? I don't have as much power as they think. <laughs> there, there, there are some projects going on within Incline and Crystal Bay that, you know, there's some pros and cons to them. And uh, one of them is going to be the resorts at Tahoe in Crystal Bay on the current Tahoe Biltmore property. A developer has bought it and would like to develop it out um, into some additional buildings, condominiums, and so on and so forth. Obviously, a lot of people in Crystal Bay are not that thrilled with it because um, it just introduces more people to the basin and, and, and they have their rights and, and their reasonings and their arguments for that. But what they'll do is they'll come to the fire department and tell us to stop this project. <laughs> we do not have the authority to stop the project. The only time we have the ability to stop a project is if they are not abiding by the current building codes and the life safety codes that are in place that our board has adopted over the years. That's our only power. There's some talk of realigning roads in Crystal Bay. They want us to stop that. If the new um, proposed roads, if a fire engine can go up them and turn and access the houses like we do now, we cannot stop that. So there is a lot of misconceptions that when people go at odds with their county officials to go to the fire department because the fire department can stop it. That is not the case. Um, and so it, it's a little bit point of contention for these folks because they want us to do more, but our hands are tied. Legally, our hands are tied. I think that's the biggest misconception from the community about the fire department. Yeah, I'd say that could be comparable to a sheriff, right? You think they're the end all be all, but They've got their yes. limitations as well. Correct. Yeah. The sheriff is probably the most powerful, the most powerful political person 
in a county, but I can tell you right now, it's not the fire chief. <laughs> well, I got, I got one last question for you, Ryan, and I'm hoping, yeah. you know, I'm sure you have maybe some R-rated answers for, for this type of question, but may, what's the strangest call that you were ever dispatched to? And, you know, one that you could share. So maybe, maybe like PG-13 for our audience, if, if, if you have one in mind or one off the, off the top of your head. So when I had just started, <clears throat> and it's and it's 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 G. It's it's okay, G. And it's <laughs> and it's I, I, I wish every of them, every one of them could end up like this, but I have to laugh about it. So I was on a fire engine, firefighter up at station three or 13 off of Mount Rose Highway. We get a lightning bust. I call it a lightning bust. A lightning storm just came through. We saw some downstrikes. We knew they hit. We didn't know where. We're waiting for the the tones and the lights and the dispatch to go off. And, and sure enough, it went off for a um, vegetation fire along the golf course, trees on fire from lightning. So we're like, hope oh, this could be it, you know, so we, we need to get there. We need to stop this. We arrived on scene and there's pieces of wood impaled into the golf course, like, like harpoons. I've never seen anything like it before. The tree was hit by lightning obviously scattered the wood, scattered the bark all over the place. We can't find a fire. We can see what tree got hit. We go over and now we can see from a different angle. When the lightning hit the tree, the current traveled through the tree, through the root system, hit the sprinkler main on the golf course. The sprinkler main broke, sprayed up on the tree and put the fire out. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. So I, I wish they all ended up like that. I really do. I really do. Well, that's probably been the most, that had to be the strangest um, call that I, that I have been on. I mean, there's probably a few others. I'd have to actually think about it a little bit, but uh, I, that one sticks out in my mind for sure. Well, we appreciate the, uh, the fun and uh, great ending there to the interview. I, I can tell it's just in your blood for decades with, a wealth of knowledge and we appreciate your time here on the podcast. Absolutely. And thanks. Thanks for everything that you're, that you're doing, you know, for, I know, you know, the season's going to be rough. Um, you know, they probably won't continue to, to get any easier, but uh, just appreciate you and everything that you do. No, no, thank you. And thank you for the invite. Alrighty folks coming up on the next episode, we've got Paul reader, a pioneer and leader of entertainment production in Lake Tahoe for decades as well. And he's the founder of PR entertainment, which recently announced Base Camp Festival July 23rd and the Lake Tahoe Reggae Festival July 24th. More on that in a couple of weeks. We'll chat with you then.